What is going on, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Dusty Dimes Podcast. I am your host, TJ Plugger, with my co-host, Mike Warfield. What is up, Mike? What's up, Teach? How are you, brother? Brother, it <laughs> feels good. Feels good to be back, talking with you, bullshitting with you. Uh, we got a special guest. You you know him uh, very well. You worked with him. Uh, yep. Former... Yep, former NHL enforcer, uh, Jay Rosehill. So I'm pretty pretty pumped to have him on. Uh, he seems, you know, I again, we do our research. I was watching some video on the guy, you know, and he's he seems like a very cool guy. Oh, yeah, dude. It, it's going to be fun to uh, definitely talk to him, kind of get his opinion on, you know, I'm, I'm very curious if he was a fighter before juniors. Like, if that was kind of like his mentality, you know, playing hockey at a young age. So, it's gonna be cool asking a lot of questions and kind of see where he comes from. Absolutely, and I, I, that's that's my thing. I just, I how do you? That's what I want to know. Did you know at that time you want to be a fighter? Because I mean, you know, you're playing junior hockey. It's well, and that's the crazy part too, man. Because if you, if anyone ever checks his stat, stats out, uh, he actually played in the AJHL, mm-hmm. and it, it like, and that's the Alberta Junior Hockey League. It's not the Atlantic Junior Hockey League for a lot of people. Um, but he also played a season of college hockey. Um, he I played saw for, yeah, Minnesota Duluth. Absolutely. I saw that. That was, that was pretty sick. It's crazy. It's crazy. That's a good though. Program. Oh, absolutely. That's a great program. But, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jay Rosell, how you doing, Jay? Hey guys, how's it going? I'm doing good. What's up, Rosie? How are you, brother? Doing good boys. How are you guys doing? Good, man. Oh man. So, uh, I guess right off the bat, Jay, um, I would love to know a little bit about like your history, kind of where you came from, uh, kind of what you did as a kid growing up before playing juniors. Did you always like play youth hockey and stuff like that? Yeah, played hockey since I was probably four years old. Uh, kind of started on the pond um, down at the, I don't know, I didn't grow up on a farm, but it was like a ranch, I guess. We just had horses and cattle and uh, just on the outskirts of Olds, Alberta. And um, my brother played hockey, so I kind of had to do the same thing and wanted to do what he did. So played minor hockey all the way up to, to midget where I started playing AAA in uh, Red Deer. But, um, yeah, I grew up as a small town kid here in, uh, here in Olds and that's where I'm at right now. That's awesome, man. Now, I guess my question to you is, uh, you know, even before you played juniors, were you kind of like a, a, a tough kid, just kind of one of those things that didn't take any shit? Um, in hockey, I was, um, I wasn't really that way off the ice. I never really got in too many confrontations or anything like that. And wasn't like to have fun and be wild and stuff, I guess, but wasn't too confrontational or aggressive, I guess you'd say. But, um, yeah. once we started playing hit hockey, um, just kind of the boys in us were, were just a little bit riled up by, you know, who could get the biggest hit and, you know, the biggest hit of the night was probably better in our eyes than the, than the nicest goal Mm -hmm. at at the peewee age, you know, so started doing that. And, um, where it really kind of took off is I got cut from, from Bantam triple a, and I went down and played, uh, Bantam double a and olds here and had a chip on my shoulder. I was kind of the last cut from that program and was a little upset to be back in, in Bantam double a, but, um, that's where my kind of physical side and, kind of play with the chip on my shoulder like I said a little bit of a mean streak and just love to run around and intimidate and whatnot and uh you know never fought or anything like that at that age but um I think around that 14 years old age is when I kind of started to to be more of a physical presence and that was kind of the biggest jumping year for me as far as uh being more of a presence on the ice I guess 
Now, Jay, uh, you, you know, we're going to fast forward a little bit. You know, you're playing some junior hockey and then you play one year at Minnesota Duluth. Yep. What, what, what was that transition like going from junior to, to college? Yeah, it was different. Um, you know, my rights were listed uh, in the dub by, um, by Seattle. And okay. like I said, small town kid um, was pretty much terrified at 16 or whatever it was to go down to Seattle and live in the States, go to high school there, leave my town, leave my friends, my family. Um, mm-hmm. I was just like, holy shit, I can't go down there and do that. And I, <laughs> I was just like I said, I kind of started blooming a little bit late and my skating was getting pretty good and was starting to become, you know, a decent D-man and was kind of seeing myself as a late bloomer. And I knew some kids from around the area um that had gone to the dub and had the glitz and glamour and everything of of going to the the shiny lights of the dub and you know two years later they're buried in their they're you know working for the town or whatever and they thought they were going straight to the show and you know that machine can chew you up and spit you out if if you're a player like me who's who's not really a superstar and I was worried about you know getting turned into a, a goon right off the bat and they were asking how big my parents feet were and how tall my mother was and it just seemed like they were only interested in my size and I just thought man I want to play yeah it was a little bit to play hockey exactly (laughs) it was kind of gross and I just kind of it just just felt like a piece of meat right off the bat with Seattle so I kind of told them that you know I might be thinking about going the scholarship route and I wanted to play in the show so bad that I didn't want to let anything get in my way and I wanted to play you know give myself the best opportunity and the most amount of time to develop because I knew I wasn't going to hop into the show at 20 years old. So I wanted to, uh, you know, give myself the best chance. And, you know, they tore a strip off me and berated me for, for that, you know, even thinking that and said I was ruining my future and everything. And I just kind of, again, got a chip on my shoulder and said, well, I'll piss on you. I'm going to go play in Olds. It's my hometown. My brother's already playing for the Grizzlies. I'll try to get a scholarship and, and make my way the long way. So, yeah, I left town at uh, at 19 and, and went to Minnesota, and it was pretty good. Um, I didn't love going to school at the same time as playing hockey. Um, uh, I wanted to focus kind of when I moved away strictly on hockey, but, you know, it was it was what it was. I, uh, I kind of – I think I led the country in penalty minutes that year. It just strictly from two-minute minors, I would just line, <laughs> <laughs> I would just line guys up and hit them. Like, they'd come straight down the yeah. ice with their head down, and I'd just bury them and – you know, my my uh, my coach, Scott Sandal in there, who's had a ton of success, won a bunch of national championships. He was uh, kind of took me under my wing and under his wing. And he said uh, he saw a lot of himself and me and wanted me to keep playing physical and didn't want to get deterred. And he'd say, as long as you're clean hits, we'll kill those penalties every time you can take three or four of them a night. I don't care. So I just kept Absolutely. running guys all night long and just parading to the penalty box. But by, you know, midway through the year, nobody really wanted to come and play uh in the corners or come up the wall and i think it was beneficial to get that that year <laughs> under my belt but uh at the end of the day so you got the space so you got the space you needed when you had the yeah a little bit and i, I needed the space too <laughs> i needed the space so it was beneficial yeah. but uh no i was a good year that year and uh, i ended up only staying one year um tampa bay and won the cup kind of the year before and uh and they were pretty uh, into their program and their system, and they wanted all the defensemen that they had uh, drafted to go in and learn their system in the minors. So I signed with them, and I, I figured college would still be there if I wanted to go back. But, you know, pro yeah. contracts don't come across the table every day. So I, uh, I signed, and off I went on, on the pro hockey journey. Now, and this is like no pun intended, this question here is, you know, you've truly fought your way through the ranks of professional hockey, made it to the NHL. 
what was the adventure, you know, from going from the ECHL to the A to the N? Because not many – there's a handful of guys, really, that made it from the ECHL up. Yeah, the coast to the most, right, they call it? Yeah. 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 But, uh, yeah, so, like, my, it's funny. When I signed with uh, with Tampa, I went uh, straight to the American League and, and played a full year, and, and Dirk Graham was my head coach. Um, I had got called up on paper, actually um, – I was told I was called up to Tampa as my, in my first year pro as a D man, um, packed my bags and everything. And just no call came. So the next day I went to the rink and trainers like, yeah, I don't know what happened. And, and then our, our, our goalies bags were packed and he got called up to Montreal. And I guess Nikolai Habibul and his visa didn't come through in time for the beginning of the season. And he couldn't cross the border into Canada and they only had so many cards or contracts or something, but they called up the goalie instead of me, basically. And I was like, well, that kind of sounds like bullshit that it was me anyways. But our goalie came back and he said that his room service and bill and all that stuff had my name on it. So I was like, wow, I really was supposed to get called up. And then at the end of the season, um, I got called up as a black ace and I was around the lightning and and doing their thing for playoffs and just kind of practicing on the side just to be ready if, if someone went down. So tons of success my first year. But my second year, we had a coaching change in the minors in Springfield and uh, Steve Sterling his name was he just wanted nothing to do with me man he buried me he didn't want me to play he didn't even have me in the top eight defensemen he uh he just wanted nothing to do with me and he sent me down to the coast that's when the coast and um I think I went down I think I played six games or something the coast and they called me back up and said you know we, we got our ass kicked by Binghamton there they got a whole bunch of whole bunch of tough guys and they just said we just need your physicality we want you to get on the four check we're gonna have you play forward it's either that or play in the coast so I played forward a little bit in, in bantam and whatnot so I I played forward and I just worked my ass off and just ran every d-man I could find I got in the goalie's face I just four checked and worked my nuts off and uh eventually when you play that way and you're a bigger guy the fights start coming and I started scrapping and uh you know then big boys started coming after me and saying we're going tonight and try me out this time and started fighting the big boys too and you know started to realize that I could handle myself and that that you know I could I could do that job and I kind of liked it to be honest with you and um <laughs> started scrapping and before I knew it you know I think that year I fought 25 times and then the next year same thing I think I fought 33 35 times and holy just, shit yeah it was crazy I fought like three times in one night and at one point and just just a just an absolute blur of of scrapping it was crazy but uh i look back and wonder how i did that now but i remember in the in the moment you just you do anything you could and i knew tampa wouldn't trade me they wouldn't call me up and i was buried by this coach and he had no plans for me so i just said well i'm gonna make a name for myself so i just i just scrapped anyone who looked at me sideways and um and the next year brian burke called and i was on the the starting opening roster for the maple Leafs. so it, it, it worked in a hurry Rosie, oh sorry, go ahead, uh, go ahead. no, go ahead, Mike. Rosie, was there ever like, in your opinion, who would you say would be your toughest opponent when it came to actually dropping the mitts? And was there ever a guy that you really didn't want to go with? Um, yeah, everyone asked me who the toughest guy is, and honestly, whatever night it happened, some of the guys in the minors that are like some of the hardest guys to fight were like the Michael Haley's and those type of guys mm-hmm. that. They're, they're way smaller than me, so I'm supposed to win the fight. But they're just mm-hmm. absolutely tough tough as nails. They throw hard. They throw fast. They're strong. 
and they're they get they try to get the inside on you and they just you can't beat them down they can eat a punch and there's just like no winning that fight i mean if you lose that fight it's just like it's just it's a joke because <laughs> your mouths get chirped yeah you're supposed to win and if yeah. you, if you yeah. if you draw which is probably what's going to happen you're going to draw that fight that people are going what happened there and if you win no big deal he's way smaller than you so it's just those guys were such a handful always I'd rather fight a big meathead that's not very good on his skates than than one of those guys. And there's so many guys in the minors that most people haven't heard of that uh, that that are just super tough, but they just didn't make it to the show and didn't uh, didn't get that name recognition, I guess. But uh, you know, like the Brian McGrattens and those type of guys um, are always fight. Like I I tried to fight for Sheer and was tugging on his waist a little bit, and he told me to beat it and. Um, you know, kept fighting Sean Thornton. I like him and Brad May is a guy I watched fighting growing up and fought him early on. And just kind of cool to say you fought that guy who, who fought Probert and all those big boys from back in the day. So I, I don't like to say one guy was the toughest because any night it, anybody can give you a handful, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, now Jay, uh, just one, uh, you know, Mike and I from Philadelphia, huge Flyers fans. One, one fight sticks out to me the most is you against Biz in Phoenix. Right. You guys are going at it along the sideboard there. He's chopping you. Like, what the fuck was going on at that moment? <laughs> um, he was on a podcast recently, and he brought that fight up, and he said that I ran Doan, and uh, okay. and he came to scrap. Um, I think Tippett, their coach, wouldn't let him go. But I, I don't, I don't know if I ran down or not. I don't think I did. But anyway, I think I came up to him and it was right in front of their coach, and they were, they were leading by two, I think. And yeah, it was three one. Yeah, and I came up to him and I said, "Let's go, Biz." And he, he looks back at Tippett and he goes, "No." And I said, "Don't look at him. Look at me. Let's, let's go. Come on." And I think I'd fought him when back in in Toronto when I didn't want to because it was a bad mm-hmm. time, but I did it. So I said, you owe me, you owe me. And it was from even two, three years ago, but he remembered. And, and then he goes, okay, okay, let's go. So we went and we had a scrap and I think, I think his Jersey ripped in the middle of it. And then, uh, we kind of broke off again and I chucked my elbow pads off quick and then yeah, it was great. went back to it a little <laughs> bit. And, yeah. It was kind of a good spirited it was... one. And then fucking donor was in the, in the bench patting him on the back. Like, Oh yeah. He looked, he looked like a little kid. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally right. So everyone was pretty jacked up, and then I think we, I think while we were in the box, we scored three straight. So, Jesus Christ! Yeah, we won yeah. that game. So that was one of those like momentum shifters, and I'm sure Tippett was like, "That's why I told you not to go there because just that's the, that's why that's why I liked fighting the most. That's the reason I wanted to fight the most is the momentum shift is when the puck's in your D zone, you can't get it out, you can't get possession, you're on your heels, the ice is tilted." And you're just nothing, no lines can get anything going. A guy goes out there and scraps and it just stops the whole game. The crowd gets on their feet. All the boys on the bench get on their feet. You watch a scrap and everyone's jacked up and everyone's kind of, you know, spirited and it changes kind of the flow of the game. And then boom, it's like the reset button on the, on the Nintendo. And then all of a sudden you start again and drop the puck and then the momentum's up for grabs again. So it doesn't all, it doesn't always work, but you definitely stop the momentum of the game and and start fresh afterwards and that's why i like to fight is you need to get something going and some people don't understand that and think it's bullshit but i've seen it time and time again and i've experienced it for years and years and years and it's it's totally a thing and it might be a barbaric thing or whatever but uh it was uh it was effective at times now your thoughts i mean obviously i know your thoughts but you know them taking them trying to take fighting out of hockey 
Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I can see the way the world's going is so bubble wrapped and everything's got to be, if someone has an opinion on something, then everyone has to change and bend over backwards for that one person's opinion. And someone's mm-hmm. offended by something, everyone has to bow down. And that means they're automatically right because they, they spoke up and that means they're right. And it's just mm-hmm. that type of thing with the world that you just, it's kind of expected at this point, but I mean, with concussions and whatnot, I I get it that we learn more. We're not we're not pretty we're not naive like we were in the past to the head trauma and what that can cause down the road, and and that's important, no doubt. But I mean, if you look at the percentage of times that that fighters or that a fight causes a concussion as opposed to a body yeah. check, well, if your main concern is not having any concussions, then you have to take body checking out of the game because that far mm-hmm. and wide makes more concussions and produces more concussions and head trauma than, than fighting does. Obviously fighting's a little easier to say if we're getting rid of it, but um, it's kind of a weird thing. And it's usually it's a person that hadn't played really that that's bitching about it or someone that's trying to make a dollar that's trying to cause the ruffle, the feathers on the fighting issue. But um, I, I, I just, I think it's kind of phasing itself out naturally. Obviously you don't see it too much anymore. They, they call so many penalties and the power play is so important now that guys aren't really running around and putting their team down and guys aren't willing to fight like they used to. They just weren't raised that way. And uh, once in a while mm-hmm. guys want to shed their gloves and they fight. That's fine. I think, I don't think they'll ever just flat out ban it because it's just going to go away like it already has on its own. And I just, I, I don't yeah. watch hockey like I used to. It's not that I only watch for fight training, but they just don't let the intensity get up anymore. They don't let the passion get going. I remember my last couple of years playing, it was as soon as like the intensity got going and you started and sweat and getting pissed off and getting intense and getting passionate and getting that competitive edge going, the refs, you can sense that, like you could cut it with a knife and the, the refs just shut it down and they throw one guy in the box and then that team's down. If they score that goal, you lose by yep. one, you game for your team. And you, I, I was watching a hockey game last night at the fire hall and it was, it was just boring. It was an NHL game and it was like a two, one game and it was just boring. There was no intensity. There was no excitement. There was three goals scored. And was that the Sharks game? No, it was, uh, (laughs) it was the Leafs Oilers game. And I like to watch the Leafs and like to watch an Alberta team. And it was just, I was watching and I was just like, like, this is just boring. Like it used to be intense. It used to be awesome. Mm -hmm. You used to not, used to not know what was going to happen and now it's just very predictable there's going to be a bunch of power plays and one team's going to score one or two goals more than the other and everyone's just going to skate around and try to make the plays and and that's kind of it there's no big hits there's no scrums there's no fus there's no face washing there's no scraps there's no intensity and it's just i just i liked watching hockey better when it was than when it was that way and that's just me personally maybe not everyone's like that but I, I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm with you 100%. Yep. I think so, most people Jay, are. Can I, uh, I'm going to bring up a memory from back in like 2014, 2015. Uh, you played for the Phantoms back then, and that was the year that I was working with the equipment staff with Waldo and Andy and everyone. Yeah, man. Good old Nelly. <laughs> so uh, I remember one time, bro, you set up a golf tournament that you ended up winning. I remember Gordo was so pissed about it. Did you end up rigging that or no? What like what kind of golf tournament? Like uh, the Masters? It, yeah. 
Did you see this guy swing a golf club? Yeah, like? yeah absolutely. I was, I was watching. I remember. I got, remember. We're in swing. the players' lounge, <laughs> and you're going around and basically getting bets from people. And I'm, I'm just, I'm talking to Waldo, and I'm just fucking dying. I'm like, what is Rosie doing right now? And he's like, oh, there's a golf bet going on right now. And at the end of the game, I, I guess you ended up winning. And I was like, no way, he ended up fucking winning this. So Waldo and I were like, I wonder if he rigged it. So I, I, I never. I, I'm just curious. So were we playing ourselves golf or was it on the like PGA tour? Oh no, it was it was definitely PGA. Oh yeah, I think that was um I think that was the Masters. Yep. And no one knew how to set up a, a draft, so we set up a yep. draft and you pick X amount of players <laughs> and depending on what I can't remember if we did money list or if we did highest finish or points for X amount or whatever. And I follow golf. I love golf. Golf is my absolute passion. That's yep. why I was setting it up because no one else did. And if no one else knew shit about the PGA Tour, I guess I, I, guess <laughs> I won the Masters. Fuck I don't even remember. But do you know how many? Do you know how many pools I've gone in that is the NFL pools, and I just get my ass kicked. I know nothing about it. March Madness? Are you kidding me? I you oh, I might as well fuck. pick it out of a hat. I know nothing. Okay. And I, I, I I'm donate right there with money. you. Screw that. I, I don't even attempt because I know right. I know I'm losing my money if I try to do any of those pools. So Gordo was PGA? mad that I yeah. won it? Uh, Yeah, I remember that. He was walking around just like, oh, man, I definitely just lost some money because he didn't know what he was doing. Oh, well, that's just- And I remember that we that was the year we had uh, Jesper Pedersen. Um, we had, like, a lot of young guys. Um, Zepper was in net. Yeah. That was a good team, man. I remember it well. Yeah, that was fun, man. That barn was so sick, too. I brought your gloves a lot of times that season. <laughs> I remember when you were getting you got tossed I was like yep I'll run them <laughs> now, now Jay uh, talking about the Flyers organization you you spent time with them from 2013 2013 to 2016 yep. what was it like playing for like one of the most recognized you know, organizations in the NHL yeah it was awesome man I mean I was lucky to play for two big time franchises uh, in that league um, Philly was Philly was wicked, man. I was older than I was in Toronto, so had a little bit more experience in my feet under me, a little bit knew what I was doing and knew the whole the whole process a little better than I did in Toronto, I guess. And uh, I just enjoyed myself so much. The guys were unreal, too, like playing with like Drew and Hartsey and Voracek. And those guys were like our leaders, but they were like such a good time and, and young younger guys. Mm-hmm. And we just had a blast all the time. And um, playing for, you know, the Broad Street Bullies the way I played and having Paul Holmgren sign me and then Ron Hextall take over for him afterward and um, just wearing that jersey that, you know, Bobby Clark and, and those bullies all wore when they won back-to-back cups was, was pretty cool. And the fact that Ed Snyder still owned the team was was just wicked, man. There's yep. so much history and um, they treat you really good there. And that city, as as well-known, as, as big as it is, it still seems like a small small city like that downtown core, you'd kind of see the same people and know the same spots. And um, it just seemed kind of like a, a small city atmosphere for, for how cool it was. And then their, their sports, they're absolutely sports crazy there. Like when I got there, I didn't realize that, that the ball diamond and the football field and the hockey rink yes. were all in this same massive slab of asphalt that everyone's tailgating at. And you can just literally walk a hundred yards to either either place and we went to eagles games and phillies games and um just playing there was unreal man and and then the fact of how old that city is and 
Um, I lived right, right down on like Walnut Street and then like two blocks two blocks away mm-hmm. was like the oldest street in america like they literally pulled the boat up right there on the river and started unpacking to start america yeah. and like ben franklin was buried right behind my house and betsy ross was living right there it's just crazy like how far back it went like we don't have that on western canada because it took a long time for people to get out there but uh living in that city was cool i like everything about that city and that franchise man awesome and then you played under uh peter laviolette what what was he like as a coach? Because we see videos of him on YouTube, you know, very, very, you know, into the game. I thought Lavi was unreal. Like, I I got traded to Philadelphia. I was on the golf course, actually, and uh, I got a call from Paul. Paul Weird. Exactly, from Paul Holmgren, <laughs> and uh, said he traded me, and they were going to, you know, get me to Philly as soon as possible. So I had to book it off the course, fly into Philly, met Laviolette, and then my first game as a flyer was in Toronto where I fought Colt Moore and scored the game winning goal. So I had like a really good intro to the flyers and Peter Laviolette like banged me on the shoulder and he's like, fuck, keep, keep knocking down tough guys and scoring GWGs and we'll be here for a long time, buddy. And I was just, <laughs> I was totally pumped. So not long after that, I signed a two year contract with them. Um, and had that security from Holmgren and uh, still really, um, you know, really pleased and uh, thankful that he signed me that contract. And uh, in my exit meeting with Laviolette, he said, listen, man, I'm here to play you. I'm not going to tell you you're going to play 15 minutes a night because you're not, but you're going to play every night. I know Giroux and, and, and Voracek and these guys like it when you're in the lineup. And I like it when you're in the lineup and in Toronto, you had to deal with getting scratched all the time and playing one and sitting two and playing two and sitting three and all that bullshit. He goes, that's not going to yeah. happen here. You're going to be in the lineup and you're going to play. So I, that's like the culmination of all my work and everything was right there with Lavi at the exit meeting. So needless to say, I was pretty jacked going into the summertime, trained my ass off, came in shape, was ready to rock. Like this was going to make my career here. And uh, three games into the season, Laviolette gets fired. And it was like the second fastest firing of a coach in history. And I was just like, come on, man. This guy's like the one guy that's finally on my side and, and sees the value and wants me on his team and, and on his bench. So I was a little dejected, but they brought in Chief, you know, with Craig Berube. And I thought that, um, you know, him being the same type of player as me, he'd want me uh, playing a little bit more. And unfortunately, I, I think I only played like 34 games that year and, sat out however many like I was there for the entire season and just sat in the press box more often than I didn't so um you know I, when I think of Peter Laviolette I always uh I always think of him getting fired and how how detrimental that kind of seemed to be to me but um you know you can't you mm-hmm. can't look at things that way it was I was lucky to get there and Holmgren signed me for two years it was a super nice deal but uh yeah I really like playing for Lavi he seemed to be uh one of the coaches that was in my corner Absolutely. And, uh, you, Mike, you got anything uh, else? Like, I, I just got two, two more little things. Yeah, to. Jay, my last question for you, brother, is um, you played over in Europe. What was that kind of like for you? Yeah, that was cool. Like like I said, the hockey over here had gotten kind of stale, and um, I think they kind of pulled the plug on players like me in the NHL basically overnight. Um, that mm-hmm. one summer there, 2014 or whatever it was, I think there's 13 players, including myself, that were in the show full-time the year before that were gone. Um, and it was just kind of a chain reaction and, um, I was playing in the minors and realized that, you know, there wasn't really a future in the NHL for me and just needed a change. Basically knew that my body was, 
wasn't holding up and I was getting older and getting more tired and the motivation and the goals, you know, what, what I had lived my dream of playing in the show and I didn't think I was going to be there anymore. So hard to get too motivated after that. And um, I just wanted to change the scenery and, and to finish off on a high note with some positivity. So um, went over to play in Europe and um, a guy by the name of Ryan Finnerty, who's from Lethbridge, Alberta here, he's coaching a team over in, uh, in Scotland and he tells me to come play for him. And I did a little research and, you know, they got a nice rank and good fans. And like I said, I'm a, I'm a avid golfer. So all those courses in Scotland were calling my name. (laughs) I went over there and played and then, uh, Finnerty ended up uh, getting moved to Manchester the next year. And he asked me to come with them and be the captain of the team in Manchester. And I, so me and my family packed up and went to Manchester for a change of scenery, but, uh, both years, everything about it was unreal. Um, just living in that country, um, you know, my kids started going to school in Manchester and he had an English accent by the time we went home, which was just hilarious. Oh and, uh, my God. The hockey was fun. Like you got 14 Canadian guys on your team. So everyone's in the same boat. Everyone's on the same page. And, you know, I, I hear stories of guys going over to Russia and whatnot. And there's two guys that speak English on your team and, and you're just living in an absolute shithole with like a, a tank from the, 30s still stuck in the ground outside your apartment jesus christ (laughs) guys just had the worst time and you know i'm bringing my family with me i'm not going overseas for a whole year without them so um i wanted to go somewhere cool where there was a good experience and having like 14 you know north american guys on the team plus the british guys were awesome dudes and and good hockey players too and the hockey in that league had only gotten higher and higher in the in the years before i got there so um, like they, they played their way into the world championships and stuff, which is a crazy accomplishment for, for that country. And, um, the refing is absolutely so piss poor. It's just scary. It's just a crying shame how bad the refing is over there. Cause they don't play it over there. They don't understand. They think that they're supposed to decide the game. And I, I lost my temper so many times over there. I got suspended a bunch, which is kind of stupid on my part, but I just couldn't, I just was in shock at how poor the refing was, but, uh, that was kind of the only blemish on my experience over there, but I finished uh, finished my career on a high note, finished it the way I wanted to, and I, I decided when I stopped playing hockey, someone didn't tell me. So um, all in all, it was pretty pretty wicked experience. That's awesome. And uh, my, la- my last question for you here, Jay, is, you know, you've been in many fights in the NHL, AHL. Um, are you involved in uh, mental awareness at all? I'm not involved with it except for just my own experience and being an advocate for it. Um, mm-hmm. I battled some anxiety when I was playing hockey. Um, I battled it the whole way through and I didn't even know that that's what it was called. Um, I would physically yeah. have my legs squeeze to the point where they, they wouldn't hold me up on the ice sometimes. And, you know, thinking about the game or the fight I had to have that night or getting called up or getting sent down or whatever, my chest would feel so heavy that I couldn't swallow food. Like my food wouldn't go down my pipe and it wouldn't stay down. And if I got any down, it would sit in my throat and I'd, I'd throw it up at the rink. And I didn't know what I didn't know what Jesus that was. Christ. And I was just kind of embarrassed of it that I hated it so much that I felt guilty that, well, shit, you're living the dream. Why, why are you feeling this way? And I kind of felt guilty. And as I got older and I look back now, that was anxiety and it was, it was brutal. And, um, I I like to talk to anyone who's going through hockey or going through a tough time that, you know, you might feel these things and, 
the mind is so powerful that it, it can do things to you physically. That's how strong it is. So people that don't don't deal with it or haven't ever felt that, they'll just say, well, everything's fine. Just shake it off. Or, well, you, you know, and, and it's just like, yeah. it's just like, that's like saying that you have a broken finger and it's like, well, shit, you have nine other fingers just shake it off it's like no your finger's broken there's something there's something actually wrong and i i I understand now that your brain is not giving you physical things that you need to to operate and people with depression and anxiety and all the different things that you can have mentally it's not just like you're weak type of thing it's you're physically not getting what you need to be happy or to be in to get into a certain mood or to overcome things or to get be in a certain state of mind and i realize that now so you know, with now that I'm in firefighting, I just had a conversation with someone at firefighting who's battling some pretty serious anxiety and OCD about the job. And he's been off the job for a couple of years and he's trying to transition his way back in. And he's seen a lot of things in his life and mm-hmm. seen a lot of tough calls. And for whatever reason, it never bothered him. But one day it, it ganged up on him and he's just got this mental battle and he was having a tough time. Um, it was two days ago at the fire hall and I, I had sat down with him and had a big talk about, you know, just listening to what he had to say and just let him get it off his chest. And, um, it's that kind of thing that I'm, I'm not really educated on except for my own experiences. And, you know, I, uh, I, you're probably right. I should be more of an advocate in, in more of a participation sense and, and get on board with some of the different causes out there. But I just like how people are starting to understand that it's a, it's a thing. It's not some weirdo who's having some breakdown. It's a, it's a person's brain that has like an injury and it's not, it's not, it's not performing Mm -hmm. the way it's supposed to. Yeah. But Jay, uh, thank you for taking the time out of your night to uh, speak with us and come on the podcast. Yeah, no worries, boys. Thanks for inviting me and uh, good luck with everything in the future. You guys are doing unreal. Thank you. Appreciate it. See you later. You too, brother. You too. That was uh, Jay Rosehill, ladies and gentlemen. Dude, I, I what, love him. What a beauty. He's such a good guy. What a beauty. Absolutely. Uh, I'm, t- I, 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 I'm telling you, I saw, the, I, was, I saw him on YouTube golfing, man. He's got, he's got a swing. I know. He's got, he's I, got a swing, I know, man. dude. It, it, I'm telling you right now, it's so funny just to watch um, you know, him play golf, but at the same time, like when I remember back in 2014, and that was one of the funniest stories just because for us, uh, like when we were the equipment staff, he just came mm-hmm. back just like all like almost giddy because you can just tell like he won money. But uh, it was just it, he's just a great guy to be around. He's one of those guys that, you know, when he's on the ice, he has your back. So everyone on the team loves him. And like from a Philadelphia Flyer standpoint, it, or let me say a fan standpoint, we loved him on the team. Mm-hmm. Like and you got to think about it, too. And, and like he said, you know what I mean? He was the last true enforcer of the Philadelphia Flyers organization yeah. before they weaned away from went from fighting. And that that's, you know, and, you know, watching him, you know, when he was, you know, when he was in Philadelphia, Toronto, like, and, and I say this time and time again, Mike, it's, you know, you hear all these, you know, stereotypes about fighters being dicks and stuff like that, but they're the nicest, nicest ones. Like, mm-hmm. You know, Rosie, Cote, you know, Randy McKay we had on. It's Carcilla, like, the nicest guys, man. Yeah. And it's... You know what's funny, too? Because I believe Jay played with Zach Stortini, too, with the Phantoms back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
him and Stortzy, man, were like hands down. Like you could just have a full blown conversation with them, even though they just got you know tossed out of the game, and think yeah. nothing of it, just because. Like you said, they were just one of the nicest guys. They were very genuine. They'd love to have a conversation with you. I remember when Ryan White first came to the rink, he literally was like, oh, he shook everyone's hand. He's like, hey, I'm Ryan White. Like, where do you want me to take my bag? And Waldo mm-hmm. was like, no, like, I'll grab it. Like, I'm going to set everything up for you. He's like, are you sure? Like, like these guys were just. Dude, that's like that's like Mathers and, and Goldberg. Slim, baby. Dude. I love. Like, the night. The nicest guys. Yep. We're like, the nicest guys the nicest in the world, guys, boys. Man, the it's... nicest guys in the world. <laughs> Rosie is still connected. <laughs> no, I had to listen to you guys pump my tires for a few more minutes. I thought we were, I thought we were gonna chat, ah! but I'm gonna bounce now. <laughs> All right, Rosie. <laughs> you too, later, brother. Later, brother. <laughs> Dude, but I'm telling you right now, that, like, <laughs> what a, what a beauty. <laughs> That's great. That's great. I because I, I, I have I could see who's connected, and I saw him connected. Usually, guys, you know. Disconnect that's right away. Mean, man. That's, that's great. At the end of the day, like he truly is one of the nicest guys, and you you heard himself like he's a family man. Like he thinks about his family before his career, and that's kind of one of those things. And mm-hmm. now he's a firefighter for his hometown, and that's something that you know I read in an article that mm-hmm. he wanted to do that you know long time after playing in the NHL. And I guess one of the the reasons why was uh, I believe when he was playing for the Flyers, they had like a, a demo or something or a team building activity where it was at a firehouse and I believe they were yeah. working with some tools with firefighters. And I don't know if that kind of sparked his interest, but you know, to hear him now that he's a firefighter and he basically, dude, he did. He's, exactly. he's doing something and, after he retired, man. You and the best thing guys, that you can ever hear from uh, any, not even an enforcer, but any hockey player in general is he ended his career the way he wanted to. No one else told him to, to end it. And absolutely good for him. Like, he deserves a good retirement. Like, well, I wouldn't mm-hmm. say retirement now because now he's a firefighter. But, you know, from hockey, I mean, now he gets to just play golf whenever he wants and just enjoy life and just be around the kids more. But that's the thing, too. And and I didn't want to – I was really debating asking that last question. I really mm-hmm. was. You know what I mean? Because I, I don't know how some oh, people did that. And, you know, it's I'm glad I, I'm, I'm glad I did because, you know – you know, I I, I don't want to say I, I sparked something in, in him by being an advocate about it. But, you know, the guy literally, you know, mm-hmm. fought in the NHL. He was taking punches, you know, to the head. And that's a serious thing. Like, you, you want what's best for people, you know, and he's, he's one to help people out, like you said. And that's what I mean, man. Like, I just you know? I have nothing but respect for him, and I wish him nothing but the best. No, Absolutely. Um, other, other topics here, Mike, let's, uh, I, I want to talk about the, uh, the flyers, the flyers here with the hot three start. and one, you know, uh, three the and first one. Buffalo game was a little rocky, and I, but you know, it's great. Uh, you know, what's great though, to see how rough. Moose had, I believe a 0.893 save percentage going against Buffalo Sabres playing against them, uh, second game. And then he has a shutout. Mm. And I forget what his overall record was against them, but I'll tell you right now, if you're a coach, you see those statistics and you're going into the game, playing them, um, going down, let's say down the road, I'd put, I, I hate to say it, but I would throw Moose back in. Uh-huh. Like he, he just has great stats against them. I, I, I would too. I mean, it's, yeah, I, I would, you know, we talked about this before with the whole 82 game mm-hmm. season, the split with the goalies. If they're playing 56 games, I'd give Carter yeah. Hart maybe 35. Yeah, but- 
you know what though? I'm not to interrupt you on that. I think I feel like yeah, I could see 35. I feel like he might get a little more just because I feel like they're really trying to push for Carter to keep growing instead of just kind of like switching on and off. Yeah. But at the same time, we also have a great defensive core. You have TK and, you know, Kevin Hayes, Claude. You have, well, TK I love just because he's stirring up shit all the time. Dude, the more the more and more he plays, is the, oh my God, more, yeah. the more and, and more I love him. Kevin Hayes I really is a fucking do. beauty. Just, he, he, TK just runs his fucking mouth like I ran my mouth, and I still run but my you mouth. But like, you know I, what, though? I, I, I tell you right now, and I will keep preaching this, best pickup we ever could have got was Ivan Provorov. Like, I I will preach that. Oh. Uh, he is so good. And I'm glad I'm glad you I'm glad you brought him up. I'm glad you brought him up because we're gonna talk about that oh, bullshit. Yes. You know, bullshit that happened with the goalie, you know, and you know, Buffalo's coach is asking for a suspension. Like I told you about it, you know, we talked mm-hmm. about it, me, you and A and Fish and dude, any person that knows the game of hockey and has played the game of hockey, if you get hit sideways you get knocked off balance you're not controlling your body you're not okay and the fact that your own defenseman throws him into your goalie you're an idiot for even asking a fucking suspension it's the dumbest fucking thing ever to ask like the guy little and then you have uh was it montour fucking jacking up provorov while he's on the ice defenseless like what and you're asking for a suspension yeah i just think it's a joke just because you know I don't know. I didn't really get to see the whole entire clip just because, uh, unfortunately, that was a game that I didn't leaving early because I went to bed. But, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things, no matter what, it, I, I feel like it's a bullshit situation in general. Let the refs do their job. Let the league do their job. Stop pushing mm-hmm. for a suspension. They have video review. Don't be an agitator in that situation, like, from a, coming from a coaching standpoint. Um, but, yep. Yeah, and, he just sounds like an idiot. That's it, man. I mean, sounds like an idiot. You lost. You don't look for excuses to you know get our guys fined more, but you know damn well they're gonna get fined. Yeah, it's you know, and then who got who got uh, uh, yep, all about our uh, Kubel Kubel got fucking uh, fined the night before. What was it like 30, four thousand? Yeah, I think it was like either forty six or thirty six. I'm not sure offhand. Kubel, huh? What's up, Pat back here? Um, but yeah, I mean, that's just, that's in regards, in regards to that. I mean, it's, it's, you, you, you teach these kids, you mm-hmm. teach them from a young age, you know, from, from my son's age playing now all the way up to junior to pro you drive the net and you know, he was, he was trying to stop. Like he was, he literally was like on the net. And then as soon as he went to turn his skates to stop, he gets oh, knocked yeah. off balance. So there's nothing, there's nothing he could do about it, man. There, there really isn't. That's it, though, man. It, it, it's just basically, I don't I mean, know, man. It, it's tough because even at a young age, you you gotta learn how to be able to protect yourself, protect the puck, also have a good center of gravity. But you know, that comes with time. And in the NHL, if you're getting blown up absolutely. like that, that's your own damn fault. Absolutely, and. uh one last thing I want to talk about, Mike, is uh, I sent you, I sent you guys the uh, the information about yep. June, June fourth and fifth. 
So, uh, you know, we're going to throw that out there is uh, the boys. The boys are going to be going back down to Maryland to uh, defend the ship in Charm City Hockey. So, um, please go check out Charm City Hockey on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, great, great tournament series. Dave Morning runs a great tournament series. Uh, we're working with them, uh, you know, doing podcasts down there as well. Um, we also want to thank... Uh, Goodwood Hockey. Goodwood Hockey has been with us since day one. Go check them out on Instagram and Facebook. With John Chiavo is uh, playing for in the SPHL for the Havoc right now. Uh, doing some good things, man. Absolutely. Doing some good things. Uh, also, also want to thank Bear Beards. Bear Beards for your beard essential, lip balm, anything you need, hair product. Go check them out. Instagram is Facebook as well. DH Apparel. Shirts, they make great shirts, Broad Street hockey shirts, you know, New York Ranger stuff, anything you need. Uh, 88 hockey as well. And I feel like I'm forgetting one, Mike. <laughs> Ink Gurus. Ink Gurus. Uh, go check out. You need your hoodies, shirts, hats. Uh, go check out Ink Gurus as well. But uh, other than that, Mike, it, it's been a, been a privilege doing a podcast with you, you know, it's, it's been since January and, uh, we got some uh, good upcoming guests as well, but stay dusty.